Well, okay, good morning. And uh, we are about to uh, continue on with our study of Revelation. After all this time, here we are in uh, chapter 19. And uh, it's really the time that we look forward to the most the closer we get to the end of the book. And uh, we uh, are talking about the very second coming of Christ. Why don't we uh, pick up our Bibles here and read this text that we have today that will finish out chapter 19. This is where Christ defeats the enemy in totality almost, I guess you could say. Verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived, those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh." Let's pray. Father, holy God, You are just. You are righteous in every way in all that You do. And in all Your judgments, Lord, as we have seen so much through this particular book, we see coming to the culmination of judgment of the sin of mankind and all that's in this world. Lord, we know that You are just. You are too. You are faithful. So what You do is good. It's all good as You get rid of sin. You're in the process of that, but there will be a day when Christ comes back and wipes it clean. And in this passage, we see this happen. What a great God You are. We are in awe. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Chapter 19, this section here at the very end is assembling for the great supper of God. The great supper of God. Don't get that confused with the wedding supper of the Lamb. And, uh, of course, the bride. We talked about that. That was earlier found in chapter 19. This is the great supper of God. This is where the birds are called. It's Father's Day, isn't it? Happy Father's Day, amen. And uh, some of you might be bird hunters. I'm not sure. So you might take great delight in all the birds that are uh, summoned in one area here. And boy, you can wipe out a whole bunch of them with one shot. If you had a single shot or if you had a shotgun, you could get even more, right? This is the execution of Armageddon. This is it. This is what we've heard so much about Armageddon. It's the culmination of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord can be many days. But this is whenever Christ comes back and culminates that. This is Christ returning to execute the nations. The beast, the false prophet. And it will be done. Make no doubt about it. That's what we see here. God's Word is true. He is the faithful and true. And that's what we looked at last week at that glorious opening of heaven and out came Christ, His white horse and all the armies following after Him. All His glory is seen when He comes back. Well, now it talks about here's what happens when He comes back. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. To be real truthful with you, it's not really a battle at all. (laughs) Christ just speaks the Word. You know, He has a sword coming out of Him, out of His mouth, and that's representing the very Word of God. And He executes what He desires to do. Whatever He created, He spoke. 
whenever He comes back at this, this battle is done before it even starts. He speaks and it's done. And so we see the uh, culmination of that. Now, there's a guy by the name of Joseph Seiss who wrote a very uh, descriptive uh, passage here, a paragraph about what happens when Christ comes back. And it can't beat the Word of God, but it gets it very, uh, I think, very vivid to us in the imagery that He puts forth in words. It's amazing what you can do with the human language. And to make it come forth to speak to you brightly. So here's what he says, and try to bear with me as I read this. I just read this passage. I, I didn't memorize it, but here we go. He says this passage that we just read tells an awful story. It tells of the greatest of man-made food for vultures, of kings and leaders, strong and confident, devoured in the field with no one to bury them of those who fought to conquer heaven's anointed king rendered helpless even against the timid birds. The great conqueror comes down. He rides on the bright horse and flies upon the wings of the wind. Smoke goes up from his nostrils and devouring fire out of his mouth. He moves amid storms and darkness from which the lightning hurls its bolts and hailstones mingled with the fire. He roars out of Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem until the heavens and the earth shake. He dashes forth in the fury of His own incensed greatness and clouds of fire and smoke. The sun frowns, the mountains melt and split at His presence. The hills bound from their palace and skip like lambs. The waters are dislodged from their channels. The sea rolls back with howling fear. The sky is torn and folds upon itself like a collapsed tent. It is the day for executing an armed world. A world in covenant with hell to overthrow the authority and the throne of God. And everything in, in a terrified nature joins to signify the deserved vengeance. That's pretty graphic. Uh, it's just kind of describing what is said throughout Scripture about the return of Christ and what He's doing. We know for the believers this is good news. We've already seen that. We had the passage dealing with hallelujah. Hallelujah. you know, Because you have the, the bridegroom and the bride. And that's all set up. Well, now this is known as the great supper of God. It's the day of the Lord. It's Armageddon. It's the day of wrath. It's the return of Christ. This is where Revelation and our study of it has brought us to where we're at today. This is going to happen. And we got graphic detail of the future. You don't know what the future is going to be about today. Even this afternoon, you don't know the details of really what's going to happen, do you? You plan to live out the day. You have certain plans, but you don't know all the details. You have a lot of things planned, but I'll tell you what. God is so good in revealing to us, not only does He have victory, but He tells you graphically how He's going to do it in that battle. And by the way, we will see it very clearly. We'll be there with Him as He comes back. So, Jude spoke of this quoting from Enoch. In the book of Jude, which is just back before Revelation, in Jude, uh, it would be... And Jude is one, one chapter, right? And, and it's in verse 14. It was about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of His holy ones, to execute judgment upon all and to convict, watch this, all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way 
and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. And it tells a little about who they are, the grumblers, the, they find fault, they follow after their own lust, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. That's people, that's the natural man. But He's going to come and judge all that on the ungodly ones. Those who are His are removed from the wrath of God. We will never have a wrath of God. It was done at the cross. We will never experience that in ourselves. And Joel chapter 3, verse 12, in the prophet section, you get uh, quite graphic descriptions of the visitation of our Lord at this time. And in Joel 3, 12, let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. So this is judgment again in a horrific way. We were introduced to this second coming here earlier in the description of Christ last week on the white horse, as I said. Now we see the execution and uh, it's the dividing of the sheep and the goats. That's what we're looking at today. And Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24 and then 25 of His return. So now as we get ready to start this section, it's rather incredible how this is done. And we see birds play a big part in this section here as God is going to use them to devour the carcasses that are on earth. A very humiliating way for the ungodly ones. So we see in verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, cried out a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God. So, we have a sun here, and we have an angel standing in the sun. Now, I don't think that he's up in the gases of the sun, literally in there, but as I look out there, I see one running in the sunlight. Standing in the sun. Well, it's very bright. This angel is another angel that we have seen all throughout Revelation an angel keeps introducing certain visions and, and things that John is seeing. Last week, he saw heaven opened. And he saw the King of kings and the Lord of lords there. And he saw the church and he saw all the other angels coming with him. That was quite a sight that John saw, wasn't it? But he says it's not over yet. Here's what goes down. Here's how it goes down. I saw an angel standing in the sun. The sun is shining at this time apparently. And it's before God turns out the sun. Because you remember when Christ comes back, everything goes dark. He will turn out the lights. There won't be any light shining whatsoever. No moons. No planets. No stars. Everything is out. As black as can be. And imagine that background as Christ in all His glory is coming back to earth. And I saw this angel standing in the sun. It's bright. And just before the lights are turning out, going to be turned out, the angel makes this announcement. It's an announcement that is complete because he's calling all the birds together to eat the flesh of the enemy. Now that's saying that there's going to be victory announced here before it even happens. Because if he's got all these enemies laid out, strewn out all over the world, literally, the birds are going to have to come and assemble and devour. And so whenever at this time he makes this calling and they're all ready, and that's when just as they're getting ready, they're not there yet, this is when the sun goes black. 
And then comes the blazing glory of our Lord and Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. In all of His glory, think of the most glorious thing you can think of and all this bright illumination. And it can't even come close to what's going to happen when He comes back. We'll see this. We're a part of it. It's like there's an eclipse at first. You know what happens when you have an eclipse of the sun? Well, it, it gets a little dark, but it doesn't get real dark. Of course, at night it gets much darker than even an eclipse. But can you imagine? You know, this angel is like in the sunlight, and then all of a sudden that light goes out. Then are you ready for the show? <laughs> this is it. And so we look at Joel chapter 2. Joel in the Minor Prophets. It's after Hosea. You have Daniel, Hosea, and then Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 30 and 31. It says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. Blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So there you go. There's a setting, isn't it? Just as He's coming back, just before, it is dark. And so we look at Matthew, and Jesus says the same thing about His own return. That would be remarkable, wouldn't it? Chapter 24 and it's verse 29. I love these passages. What a glorious time it is if you're His. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. You, you notice the darkness and then you notice the glory of Christ coming on the clouds with power and great glory. Again, the same thing. And so, that's the idea whenever Christ is returning. And now the angel is crying out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds, gather. Just as Christ is returning. Just right at that time or close to it before it. It's a declaration before it starts. The angel is speaking. He's saying, look at this complete victory that's going to happen. We're going to wipe them all out. All the ungodly ones, as Jude mentioned of Enoch's writing, ungodly, 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 ungodly. It's not difficult to think of who ungodly are, is it, as we think about our times that we're in today. Turn to Matthew 24, verse 27. Matthew 24, and it's just before the passage we just read in Matthew. Remember, Matthew 24 is about His return, also 25. In verse 27, it says, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And when that happens, look at this. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus is saying the same thing that later on John says in Revelation. We see the Word of God always correlates with itself, doesn't it? John was with the disciples when Jesus first said this. Now he's seeing this vision of what is going to happen in the future. He's seeing it very clearly. And he's just in awe, total wonder. So he writes all of this. Does he understand it all at that time? Well, he's human just like us, but it's an incredible thing. Look at Luke 17, verse 37. 
it's talking about his return. You know the old uh, passage: one will be in the field, one will be taken; the other will be left. There'll be two in the field, right? Or two grinding; one will be taken, one other left. And answering, they said to him, "Where, Lord?" And he said to them, "Where the body is, also the vultures will be gathered." Jesus says this in Luke, a different passage there, or time, but He's saying the same thing. He says it in Matthew. We see it in Revelation, quoted by John. I think there's something significant here about these birds. I don't think it's just spiritual. I think it's real birds that are going to eat up all the flesh that's laid out on the earth. Literal. Hard to imagine. That's the way it's going to be. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 17. Ezekiel, it's just before Daniel. Ezekiel 39.17 And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble and come together. Gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I'm going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat fat until you are glutted and drink blood until you are drunk from my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. You'll be glutted at my table horses and charioteers and mighty men and all the men of war, declares the Lord God. I think ultimately that is not only just some war that he's bringing on, but he's talking about near the end time for sure. Again, he's talking about birds, even animals, beasts, having devoured us. Remember, there's going to be millions there at Armageddon. And you remember what we talked about the blood the blood up to the bridles horses, whatever that means, it means just everywhere, strewn out all across Israel, from the north to the south. Valley of Jehoshaphat. And of course we think of the valley of that, uh, we think of the, the hill called Armageddon. It's where that so-called battle is going to be at. Birds all throughout history have eaten human flesh after there have been battles, just nothing new. That's part of the history of the world. But here we are on a Sunday morning in church, and we're talking about such a graphic scene. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. That's right. <laughs> exactly what I thought. The only thing that disappoints me, I wanted to do this on Mother's Day. <laughs> just kidding. I didn't have a Father's Day message. I think this is great hunting though, isn't it? I mean, this is a lesson how you really kill. If you're going to do it, do it right. Get them all. And he does. And every last one. He doesn't miss. Some are not just left over, you know. Well, we got most of them. Gets them all. There's an indignity about this. This is what God has promised all along. And if you believe in His righteousness, you say, this is right. This is good. This is just. Because they have to be judged. God says, here's what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to happen. It's very graphic. Quite an indignity. Carry on birds gathering. It's a great supper of God. It's, it's a call to the supper of God. Read verse 18. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and men and slaves and small and great. Um, this would not be something that most people would like to be talking about today in, in churches. And Shane, you said earlier, as we read a confession of the faith dealing with the mediator and what he did in, in electing us, 
the ones he does not elect, he has to judge. And he said it would be controversial. I've got a feeling what we just read here today would be controversial in most places. They would not uh, would, would not want to touch it. I'll, I'll say this at least. Let me requalify that maybe. I would say in liberal churches, they would not even believe this. They wouldn't accept this. They said, well, that's not God's Word. That's not Jesus because Jesus is love. And yes, He is. He's so loving that He's going to judge sin completely where we won't have to see it or experience it throughout all eternity. That, to me, means a lot. That's what we want, don't we? Totally judged. The birds are called together. This is definitely different than the wedding supper of the Lamb, isn't it? And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Now we talked about the glorious return of Christ coming out of the darkness, right? And being bright, illuminating, glorious. Okay, what is it about these birds since that is the focus? Now Christ is the focus of this as He comes back. But one of the key themes here are birds. Vultures. What's going on? Well, it's interesting to note that the Israeli Air Force have ran into the problem of birds in Israel. Vultures, any kind of sea kind of birds, and they've had many problems. I will tell you that they are constantly patrolling Israel in the, the Air Force. Jet airplanes. You could take a plane and go from West Israel to East Israel and be through it in a minute and a half, east and west. North and south is a little bit further. They are constantly patrolling Israel because of the enemies that surround them. How do they know so much what's going on? Well, they know that people want to destroy them. We know about the Muslims and the Arabs and the whole Middle East there. We know about that. We know what they want to do. And they, they pledged it. They don't keep it secret at all. They want to destroy every man, woman, and child of the Jewish race. So they, they patrol that. They've had a lot of pilots that have not been killed by the enemy that we just mentioned. Many pilots have been killed because of birds in Israel. That's right. The, the most frightening thing that happens sometimes is that the birds go right through the cockpit, like plexiglass, and those birds you know, are going at their speed. The jets are going at a tremendous speed themselves, much faster, and they just go right on through. Well, there have been films that are brought forth that are very graphic that shows the decapitation of these pilots. And, of course, we know that they fly into the planes and, and all sorts of horrible things happen. There's an airport called Ben-Gurion Airport. Uh, where there are airliners going in Israel and uh, we know that there's so many birds flying into them. Uh, they literally swarm at this airport where there was really a, a, a lot of body of water there. So the birds would uh, love to hang around there and of course they'd, they'd be flying and they'd get caught in the props. And uh, pilots losing their lives and Heads coming off. This happened frequently for many years, and uh, they kept trying to come up with plans to keep from all the pilots losing their lives. Uh, they made studies on it, study after study, because we can't have this happening. And especially when you have uh, American Airlines and other people flying in there. Uh, so what happened is that they came up with this plan as they noticed that a lot of these, most of these birds are coming from Western Europe, coming from Siberia. There's certain times that they do it. They fly real high, very high, much higher than what they normally would. 
They're migratory birds. Of course, they go to what would be northern Africa and they go right through Israel. If you go west, you're at the Mediterranean Sea and uh, that would be a little bit difficult to have food and such as they migrate. Or if you head east from there, you're in the desert in the Middle East. We know about that. Not very far from Israel at all is, is the desert. And so you have these migratory birds flying in the millions and millions and millions of birds. It's incredible. Flying very high. High as these planes are flying. So, and there's different kinds of birds obviously doing this and they come on different seasons and such. They got to where they could predict down to the day or the next day when these birds would arrive be coming into their land. Different bird groups, millions coming through Israel, flying through, heading from Africa and then later on they'd be heading up north and west. They come for the food and as they studied these birds there was uh, they always fly the same pattern. Always. Every time. At the same altitude. Not changing or wavering at all. And at the same time of year. So they got it down exactly what their pattern, their flight pattern was. And what it was. So they trained all their pilots to fly at different altitudes when this would happen. It makes sense, doesn't it? It took quite a study to do this. And then they made a training film. And American Airlines trained all their pilots. So they understood the patterns. They understood what these birds do. Like I say, it's unwavering. It's always down to that very day. The same place, same altitude. So when the time comes for this great supper, they already know their pattern. The birds will know the path very well for the great supper of God. And we know that we have been hearing for the last few decades now that there have been an unusual gathering of carry-on birds, of big vultures that have been gathering in the land of Israel. More and more, huge numbers of them as they kind of make that home or close to it for a while. Huge quantities, vast amount of birds is God getting them ready for this time period? Is He getting ready for that day? Hello. All I know is that whenever the angel cries out with a loud voice, it's time. Whether it's their time or not, it doesn't matter. The angel says it's now, and they all gather. It's amazing. An angel cries out loudly, and all the birds listen, and they come. It could be that very day that they normally come. All I know is I take this literally that God will use them to devour this flesh. And say, boy, you know, couldn't you have just kind of gone through this very rapidly and get on into chapter 20? Well, we saw the text where this is put elsewhere. You don't hear a lot about this, do you? You probably didn't get it in Sunday School 101 in the kindergarten days. You probably didn't get it whenever you were uh, in the adult Sunday school class. And most of you here are sitting here going, what is an adult Sunday school class? What is this kid Sunday school? Most of you didn't even go to church whenever you were kids. Some of you did, some of you didn't. Some of you are very well aware, and, and, and I'm sure you're saying, yeah, I don't ever remember hearing a lesson on this one. And if they did do this chapter, I can guarantee you in the life work, faith and message and, and all that, what they what they do is they would come to a section and then they would just chop this out because it would not be there <laughs> in the quarterly. <laughs> I, I jest. But uh, yeah, it's, it's graphic. So, um, what we're saying here is the ungodly that we read about that Jude reported are going to become the food for the birds, the vultures, and the wild animals. It's going to take a while. And this is going to be all over the earth too, not just at Armageddon. 
They're going to have feast, aren't they? And they're going to get stuffed. Gluttony of the birds, as we read in that one passage. So with all those passages, it's not just one verse here in Revelation, but it's something that's significant. Um, all the unbelievers on earth are going to be executed. You see in verse 18, he says, the kings, the commanders, the mighty men, horses, the flesh of all men, free, slaves, small, great, rich, poor, whatever they are. It doesn't, he's going to get them all. doesn't matter what kind of heritage or how important you are. You're going to be laying out there on the floor of the world in the dust. Nobody's going to come and bury you. What a terrible indignity is for the kings. Birds to tear at their flesh. It's going to happen precisely as it said. There's not going to be any to take care of them. This is the end of the kings, folks. The king of kings and the Lord of lords is taking their place. He's always been the king. And now he makes it very, very evident. Go to Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14. Zephaniah in the Minor Prophets saying a very important passage. So It's before Zechariah, if you run it against that there. 1 verse 14. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I'll be I'll bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of His jealousy for He will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. There we go. makes it very complete. Let's go to number 2. Verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to get, get this, to make war against him who sat on the horse that we've seen earlier in chapter 19 and against his army you notice the armies against Christ's army. They're all one. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, literal. Somehow this hell, uh, this lake of fire, all of these things that we've always heard is true. It is without a doubt going to come. It's a terrible indignity, this end. The beast, the kings, the armies, they're assembling for the purpose of making war against Jesus Christ. It's incredible. They've always done this though, haven't they? They've always warred against God, but literally now as they see Him coming out of the darkness and His brilliant light and they turn on Him and think they're going to torch Him. Zechariah 14, which is a great section to turn to correlate with Revelation. Chapter 12 through 14, actually. 
Zechariah near the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah 14. You'll notice in the first few verses is where he there's a day coming of the Lord and you have the nations that are against Jerusalem and he brings them to the, the nation of Israel. To Jerusalem even. And it says in verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when He fights on a day of battle. Remember, this this battle, this fighting is done quickly, immediately. In that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives which will be split in the middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with Him, saying the same thing, isn't He? His second coming. And in that day there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. For it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord. Neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And in that day living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. Half of them toward the eastern sea. The other half toward the western sea. And that's the Mediterranean. It will be in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and His name the only one. It's what we look to. No more others ruling and reigning. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it and there will no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. This is the setting up of the kingdom. Now, he's going to go back to his the time that he comes back. Here's another graphic description of it. Now this will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. And their eyes will not in, will rot in their sockets and their tongue will rot in their mouth. As they're standing there, their tongues will rot right in their mouth immediately. It will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. They start killing each other as if the Lord really needs that. But that sounds like many battles in the Old Testament where the enemies of Israel would wind up being in such a panic and stricken that they didn't even know what they were doing. They were killing their own people. Maybe they do know what they're doing. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered gold and silver and garments in great abundance. So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey and all the cattle that will be in those camps. But he talks about the things that go on during that millennial kingdom. He talks about some of the disobedience that will happen in the millennial kingdom. So, what we're saying is at the moment that he comes back whether this is nuclear or whether it's a combination of Christ speaking the word or it's just his word only and boom that's it whatever it is is that it's just like their flesh rottens immediately eyes rot in their sockets tongues rot in their mouth this is much more horrid than any kind of horrible movie you've ever seen that would be speaking along these lines. So Zechariah graphically describes more to that too, doesn't he? And we come back to a revelation. You have the beast. You have the false prophet. And it's just like the armies. 
lose their leaders, the beast and the false prophet, who they've been depending upon all this time, they look to them. The people do. The armies do. And they're the first ones taken. Christ just takes them and throws them into the lake of fire. Somehow, visually, John sees this. That's the first thing he does when he comes back. He takes the two leaders. What do you think the the armies are thinking now? There's some kind of transformation that happens to them. I know they have bodies and he throws them in there, but now you know it's they're they're thrown into the lake of fire, which means they would burn up. But that's not what's going to happen, because later on Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire after the thousand years, as you see in Revelation 20. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. So a separate time and they're there. That means eternally they will live in this lake of fire. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They've already been there and then Satan is thrown in there because he has one last little flurry right at the end of the kingdom and the kingdom which actually will have uprisings and ruling with a rod of iron, he puts that out. He's in total control. But at the very end, that's where Satan is now thrown into the lake of fire where he will never deceive the nations ever again final. It's eternal. It's a flaming hell. The beast is captured. He's seized. Along with him is the false prophet who led people to worship the Antichrist where it became a one man that they worshipped and really it was the worship of Satan. He finally got what he wants and that's when everything is unleashed from God and His wrath. The bold judgments happen so quickly, so immediately. So They don't get annihilated. They're there a thousand years later. And they're there where the worm dieth not, neither shall the fire be quenched. It doesn't go out. This is real. It's an everlasting judgment upon them. I can't imagine. I can't even describe outside of what we were given. And Jesus spoke much about hell. John reveals quite a bit here the judgment of them. The whole history, I guess you could think of the world of sinners, is really part of this. We know later there will be the great white throne judgment where they are ultimately judged. You know, all the sinners are going to be killed not just the armies, not just uh, you think of the beast and the false prophet being thrown in there. Whatever sinners are left all over the globe, He takes care of them too. The armies are there. There will be some people there and then they're dead. John Phillips, commentator on this, wrote this. Again, stay with me here as I, I read this paragraph. Suddenly, it will be all over. In fact, there will be no war at all in the sense that we think of war. There will be just a word spoken from him who sits astride the great white horse. Once he spoke a word to a fig tree, and it withered away. Once he spoke a word to the howling winds and heaving waves, and the storm cloud vanished and the waves fell still. Once he spoke to a legion of demons bursting at the seams of a poor man's soul, and instantly they fled. And now he speaks a word. The war is over. Another word, and the panic-stricken armies reel and stagger and fall down dead. Field marshals and generals, admirals and air commanders, soldiers and sailors, rank and file, one and all, they fall. And the vultures descend and they cover the scene. Just an incredible, incredible picture of how it's all going to end. Wouldn't you all like to know what's going to happen at the end? We just got it. 
We've seen it through the Scriptures. We read Zechariah 14, 3 through all of those sections. As they're rotting away, they're killing each other, they strike each other. It's a frightening scene. No movie could ever depict this. This is the time that God has always spoken about. And it symbolizes His wrath upon all mankind throughout all the history. Even the ones that are there, but it's symbolizing how God will throw them into this lake of fire. You know, in Daniel 12.12, we're right at the end of this now. Of course, in Daniel... You have a lot spoken about all of this, the time of the end. All chapter 12 is certainly about that because it's what he says. This is the time of the end and he's speaking of the resurrection. Of course, some to everlasting life and other to everlasting contempt. And in that context, as we look at verse 12, Verse 11, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, that's mid-tribulation, from that time when Antichrist announces himself to be Christ, to be the Messiah, there will be 1,290 days. 1,260 days is actually three and a half years, so there's 30 days. Remember, there's going to have to be a clean-up period to go into the kingdom. The vultures come in. Then it says, How blessed is he who keeps awaiting and tains to the 1,335 days. The people that are there, you think of the, the, um, the judgment of uh, the sheep as, the, as they go in to the kingdom true ones that have been there and they're blessed as they as it extends out 45 more days so 75 days maybe of cleaning up and the the, the it's what I call it is a cleanup time uh, physically and even spiritually to those ones who are the ones who say lord who are who are the ones that fed the hungry who are the ones who gave drink to the thirsty, and who are they? And he said, it's those ones who took care of them, right? You know. But as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel, he said, it's for you. Everything that I've told you here, you don't understand a lot of it. But we'll see you in the end. You'll see what all this is. He'll be part of that. When all the saints come down with Christ in the glorious return, He didn't get that at the time. I'm not so sure how much we get of it. But I think we got a lot described by John in 90 A.D., somewhere in that vicinity. Corpses are devoured by the birds. That's representing that justice will be completed in its totality. And the rest were killed with the sword in verse 21, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with the flesh. He says it again. What do I get out of this? God is just, God is righteous. God is holy. He will judge sin like we have not seen before ever in the history of mankind. We want to see that. Do you remember Saul? King Saul, just before David, he was ordered to destroy a group of people nation, city. He did. Except for one. His name was King Agag. It was a matter of pride for Saul as he was able to take him in, do a little torture and talk with him, you know, and have uh, a few jokes with him. 
this is the king, the mighty king, so he brings him in. See, God told him to kill him. Samuel the prophet told that. Well, Saul didn't do that. Samuel the prophet comes in and hacks Agag to pieces. See, Agag is representing sin. And we are to get rid of our sin. We are to hack Agag to pieces. To constantly keep fighting the enemy. Sin is constantly at the door, tempting us. We have to be aware of that, don't we? We fight not against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. Fight against Satan and the demons. We fight against the things of this world and all it offers to us. And we fight against the flesh and all that it wants and craves. And you know what? We are to be cleansed constantly every day. We are to be hacking Agag to pieces. John Owen said, the Puritans said to starve temptation. Starve sin to choke it, to kill it. In any way that it is, do not let it come in and get a toehold and then to get a stranglehold on you. It says whenever you know that it's sin and you know it full well, you run from it, you do whatever it takes, you kill it, you starve it, you make it thirst to death. God is holy and righteous and we have the Holy Spirit living in us and we have the power to do this and we say this in the Gospel. We can't do that. We can't follow the law. And that's where the Gospel comes in and we look at the cross. And you look at the cross and guess what? That battle and that struggle that you have with that temptation, all of a sudden when you concentrate on what He did and that great grace that hunger for that sin now just starts dwindling away. Keep looking at the cross. Keep looking at that. Keep thinking of His great grace. His righteousness. And then we see a righteous God who is a very loving God. Perfect, isn't He? We're thankful for His grace this morning, aren't we? That is what delivers us from the wrath to come. We had no wrath coming to us because it was done. It was paid for at the cross. So it always goes back to Christ. We see Him coming back the second time and we see how majestic and how much of a warrior that He is and how much whatever He says He's going to do, will do. And we see it down to details, folks as we've been looking at all this passage, and it brings joy to our hearts, if we're His, and we know His grace and we've experienced it, it brings us to reality and knowing that, yes, I know my sin, and what's the difference between me and these ungodly? Nothing but Christ. And if you have Christ, He's your all. That is what life is all about. Nothing else is ever going to satisfy what you want. And nothing you have is ever going to satisfy God's justice except the death on the cross paying that penalty for us. The Gospel, folks, that's where all of this is. And when you say the Gospel, you have to bring about judgment. The judgment of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of His righteousness, and judgment. Let's pray. Father, Holy God, as we have looked at this passage, it's very humbling at the same time, Lord, thank You for revealing it to us. That's what this is. It's the revelation of Christ. And we see Christ revealed in all of His ways. And it's a good thing that You do. Otherwise, we'd live in a world that's just like what we've lived in and live in now, and none of us want that to continue on. We look to being with You and in Your presence 
And with all that you have to offer that goes along with that, it's all about you. Jesus Christ, you are our all. In Jesus' name, amen.